0: Dear listeners, welcome at this fifth episode of the Meet the Expert podcast series. And in this series Meet the Expert, together with well-known experts from around the globe, we explore challenges and opportunities in the pig veterinary world. In this episode, we are going to explore a topic we touched on in the third episode as well, precision livestock farming. But now we're going to look into a very practical application with regard to pig health, and that is early warning systems. The Meet Expert podcast series is a co-production of Böhring Ingelheim Animal Health and Pig Progress. My name is Vincent Tabek. I'm editor for Pig Progress, and I'm the host of today's episode. And next to me is audiovisual editor Iris Hofmann, and without whom this podcast wouldn't be possible. And you'll hear from her as well during the episode. Today's guest is based in Iowa, United States, and Dr. Amanda Sponheim has been part of the Burien-Ingelheim swine team as a key account veterinarian. And in addition to her full-time role, she's currently a PhD candidate at the University of Minnesota, College of Veterinary Medicine, where her research is primarily about identifying diagnostic approaches that may improve the detection of mycoplasma hypneumoniae in swine. And she's an active member of the American Association of Swine Veterinarians and a former recipient of the organization's Alex Hogg Memorial Scholarship. Welcome, Amanda. It's good to have you here. Hi Vincent,
1: thank you for the invitation. Yeah,
0: it's great to have you here. Um, I see in your your bio a little bit that you are a key account veterinarian. What, What does that mean exactly? What does a key account veterinarian do on a daily basis?
1: Sure. Uh, so Vincent, my role as a key account uh, veterinarian is field-based. And as KVs, our team would work directly with BI customers uh, to provide technical support relating not only to our products, but also any pig health and production questions um, that may come up. And you know, I think in our role we do a lot of connection of the field to the various universities, you know, when those challenging questions work up that uh, come up that, you know, maybe need a little bit more support or we need to, we don't have an answer, you know, need to go down the the route of research. Um, And so in my role specifically, um, I work with specific uh, production companies and a large veterinary clinic um, that are located in the upper Midwest um, and several of these have a strong interest in research and field research. And so as part of my role, I, I do a lot of that work um, in field research from developing research trials, you know, the study design, um, helping with challenge models, and then also helping in the execution of those studies.
0: Basically, you're, you're in touch with the farms and the swine themselves quite a lot.
1: Right. Mm. Yes. yes. I
0: see. I see. Well. As I introduced you, you're also attached to the University of Minnesota as a PhD candidate, and there it's all about uh, you're, you're focusing on MHIo detection. Um, well, could you explain a little bit what that what that um, what that study means? What 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 your research right. entails?
1: Right. Um, so I've been working on a part-time, distance-based uh, graduate program. And my thesis projects are focused on improving the detection of mycoplasma how pneumonia in low and high prevalence scenarios. Uh, so basically, we focused on important questions relating to elimination programs, elimination of mycoplasma how pneumonia, such as confirmation of guilt exposure, which would be a high prevalence uh diagnostic question and then also the validation of elimination program excess success so that would be an example of a low prevalence type uh, question um, where we would work to determine the appropriate sample type the diagnostic test the timing of collection uh, number of animals to sample you know pooling is appropriate you know for each of those specific scenarios
0: mm-hmm. And uh, well, you must have a busy life doing uh, both at the same time. Could you? What? 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 What do you spend the most time to 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 your job as a?
1: <laughs> sure. Mm. Right. Um, well, when I first started the graduate program, I was uh, part time, sixty percent at BI, and then in twenty twenty, I shifted back uh, to full time. Um, about the same time, I transitioned from a master's program at University of Minnesota to the PhD. Um, so it's just, it's kind of about finding a balance between the two. I'd say a majority of my time is focused on BI work. Um, and then I'm at the point um, in the graduate program where I've uh, passed the preliminary exams and just working on writing the last few papers for the thesis and then hopefully defend um, you know, in the next next
0: two years. So I beg you to be looking forward to it, but at least it's good that (laughs) that you managed to find time to also in between all those uh, busy works to talk to us about uh, precision livestock farming. I said in a previous podcast, we already spoke to Professor Daniel Bergmans of uh, the KU Leuven in Belgium about precision livestock farming. And for those of you who haven't listened to it, I would re- recommend to to take, uh, t- to take the effort to listen to that because it helps uh, to understand the concept better. Um, for those who may not have listened to the concept of precision livestock farming and think I have never heard of that, could you briefly explain what it means in your view? Sure,
1: I think uh, simply put, Uh, precision livestock farming is using technology um, and as Dr. Berkman's put it, to continuously monitor animals. Um, So 24 hours a day, seven days a week, um, applying technology so that data can be captured and, you know, meaningful data um, and something can be done with that data to make, you know, more appropriate or more timelier decisions
0: Okay. Controlling more uh, animals constantly, and then making appropriate decisions.
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: we are going to zoom into one specific aspect of the the PLF, and that's a sound-based precision livestock farming tool. Well, perhaps you could introduce this a little bit, and, and how explain how that works.
1: Sure. Uh, so, SoundHawks mm-hmm. is an audio-based technology, and they're devices that are hung from the ceiling of a barn, of a swine barn, that. And they continuously record the sounds in the pig production facilities and then would identify and quantify respiratory problems in pigs. Um, So to do this, it uses an LED warning system. So on each of those devices, um, there would be a light on the bottom Mm -hmm. and that would vary between green, yellow and red Um, and that color. Right, exactly. Yes, green is good. Um, you know, yellow is that warning, something's going on here, you need to pay attention. And then red is, hey, something's definitely respiratory event is occurring. Um, and so the color of that alert is calculated by a mathematical algorithm. And again, that alert is displayed on the device. And then it's also uploaded into the cloud so that you know, I can sit on my computer um, and see, um, you know, the changes over time and get those alerts uh, from a, a website. Or there's also an app on the phone where you can get those alerts and see um, also w- what's occurring within the barn. Um, so it just offers that a tool to detect respiratory episodes. Um earlier than farm personnel and intensive diagnostic monitoring. We've seen that, um, you know, multiple studies that our team has done um, that, you know, typically in that four to five day range where the respiratory episode is detected earlier than what, you know, trained farm caretakers uh, may detect. And then we have other studies where our group has looked at intensive monitoring um, using oral fluids and PCR um, and the SoundTalks alerts have also identified um, the respiratory introductions earlier than that intensive diagnostic monitoring as well.
0: And I would say that early detection is, is key to all this that you managed to kind of detect, mm-hmm. detect it way earlier. We, we're gonna talk about that in a minute. Um, I happen yeah. to know that SoundTalks has been around for some while. Uh, perhaps you could take us back a little bit when it was developed and where.
1: Sure. Um, so you would have done the initial interview with uh, Professor Daniel Berkmans, um, at, uh in Belgium. And, and so that uh, idea of the cough detection and finishing pigs was first uh, started with him. And then in 2011, the SoundTalks was, uh, NV was founded as a spinoff company Um, And then in 2001 to 2008, uh, there was a cooperation with a a Dutch company, FANCOM. And then in 2012, that first pig cough monitor was launched. And in 2015, um, the development of what they were called SOMOs at the time, respiratory distress monitors, and this was a portable device that kind of looked like a hard briefcase. And that, that was the first device that we saw here in the US um, and were able to start start using and experimenting with. Um, and so that was kind of a portable device. And then in 2018, they moved on to the kind of second generation SOMOs. And that was the first non-portable device that was hung within the barn, It had internet connectivity. Um, It had an improved algorithm, you know, they continuously improve. I was
0: going to say, it sounds uh, like it wasn't like developed and then it stayed that way. It kind of, kind of moved on over the years as well.
1: Right. And it, and it continues to evolve. Um, So, you know, just recently in 2021, they had the development of a nursery specific algorithm. So right now, you know, there'd be nursery and then also, you know, for the grow finish period. So and what I've experienced and the devices that we've seen in the U.S., it's it's a constant, uh, continual um, development, you know, over time where that technology just continues to improve and continues to be a little bit more user-friendly. What was the moment
0: that Berger Ingelheim also kind of stepped in?
1: Sure. Uh, that would have been in 2019. Barry Ingelheim would have acquired a, a minority stake. Uh, in the technology and then um, from there you know also over time we've done a lot of field studies just to better understand uh, the technology and then um, this year in 2022 has been the start of the commercialization uh, by BI and so far deployed SoundTalks have be deployed in 15 countries.
0: 15 countries and um, what what is your role um, well in relation to this tool
1: Sure. So SoundTalks within the U.S. officially uh, will launch later this year. Uh, But we've, like I've mentioned, we've used the devices probably over, I think, the last five years on a research basis. Um, And then I've personally used the devices in every research study um, that I've designed since 2020. Um, So I had that first experience, um, you know, in a in a challenge study, we challenged with influenza and PERS and it was just such a nice tool that, you know, we said, we're not going to do another research study without these, that um, they just provided a lot of value for us informate good object good um, objective information. Yeah.
0: So that would explain as well why you would be excited about it.
1: Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah.
0: I see. I see. And do you use it as well in your PhD studies?
1: I haven't, uh, we didn't use it in my initial PhD studies that would have been back in uh, 2018. And um, we weren't, we didn't have as many of the devices within the US and we weren't using them with within every study. Like we really started in 2020. Um, we had a few studies that they were placed in. Um, in hindsight, you know, we wish we would have had the devices within that study because you know, as you're, um, challenging, you know, pigs and you have these challenge models and you're looking at transit transmission within a population, it just, the sound talks, you know, give you a really nice curve. And so you can see what is occurring within that population. Um, you know, when your clinical episodes are starting to begin and then also when they kind of tail off. So, um, so in my experience, it's, it's been a really nice addition from the research perspective, um, you know, and, and adding those into studies. And I, I typically, you know, I will we'll go in and do a, a respiratory type challenge and, you know, during the week. And then I've had experiences where over the weekend, you know, I start to get the alerts and I can watch remotely what's going on in um, making sure our challenges kind of occurring as we were hoping it would, um, you know, from a, from a distance. So oh, no, well, that's a really <coughs> nice piece too. Yeah.
0: Oh well, something for for few future PhD candidates then perhaps to apply uh, to apply in their studies. Sure. Um, I think it's about time to ask Iris to join the conversation for a bit. Oh, there she is. Hello, Iris. Um, I think you have a couple of practical questions about the SoundTalks application, Um, and I was going to say, fire away whilst I'm going to get a cup of coffee.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Thank you, Vincent. And hello, Amanda, nice to meet you. Um, We got a couple of questions from the audience. uh, And the first one is, uh, how does the device determine the color of the LED alarm, and in which region are the highest
1: respiratory problems located? Sure. So I think as we um, had mentioned, that color of the alert is determined by through a mathematical algorithm and artificial intelligence. And so the microphones in the SoundTalks devices would be located, um, you know, above all of the pigs within a space. Uh, we'd have those spaced out within the barn, um, and then again, they'd be continually collecting that. Um, that sound from the pigs in the barn. And so that package of information is, um, would be transformed into a simple metric, uh, which we call the respiratory um, health status. And that ranges between zero and 100. And um, that would kind of package together that, um, that information from the algorithm and you would identify Location where you might see respiratory health episodes developing in a barn um, by the different monitors that are hung throughout the barn. So we've also been able to locate that. You know, this is the onset where the respiratory event began in this corner of the barn, for example, because that was the monitor that first picked up, um, you know, an increase in the in cough episodes. Interesting. Yeah. And
2: what I was wondering myself too, and it was a question from the mm-hmm. audience is what
1: if a human coughs well in a barn? Sure. So that algorithm, the algorithm that we mentioned is properly trained to only detect the sounds uh, related to respiratory health of pigs. And so if a human or even another animal, you know, a different species in swine coughs or sneezes that won't be recognized or accounted for in the calculation of that group of pigs.
2: Okay, so the humans don't have to be worried uh, to call or whatever when they're in the barn. That's good to you know. Um, another question we got is what could you tell about a
1: practical application on farms? Where is it being used? Mm-hmm. Sure. So as I mentioned, SoundTalks will officially launch in the U.S. later this year, but we've had the devices in the U.S. and also in other countries uh, for a period of time now. And I've seen practical applications um, for, let's say, companies that sell breeding stock, for example, You know, as another layer of a diagnostic measure to detect earlier respiratory events and maybe place health holds um, you know, on sales of animals and then um, we've also seen the interest in guilt isolation units where caretaker visits may be limited while the gilts are on quarantine for a period of time prior to introduction into a sow herd Um, and that's where you know the value would be earlier detection of a respiratory event you know an exposure that may have occurred during transportation um, from a multiplier to uh, the isolation facility and then Um, In addition, we've also seen cases in, you know, commercial nursery and finishing populations where sound talks um, have allowed for a more precise application of interventions such as antibiotics um, versus uh, placing those antibiotics, let's say, on a set schedule.
2: Exactly. That sounds clear. Uh, I think this question is a good follow-up uh, on, on what you just told. Uh, does it need veterinarian uh, involvement or is it something um, that producers themselves... Uh, wait, let me repeat that question. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, does it need veterinary involvement or is it something producers themselves could learn to apply without use of
1: fats? Sure, so producers can definitely install and utilize the technology. However, you know, they should have the involvement of a veterinarian to develop intervention strategies and, you know, place those diagnostics. You know, the veterinarians would know, should know, typically know the health of the flow, disease challenges in the area, appropriate diagnostics to apply. So it's a nice tool to kind of connect the veterinarian and the producer, you know, and have a discussion over what's occurring in the barn.
2: Great. Well, thank you very much. That um, that were all my questions.
0: <laughs> Thanks, Iris. I'm just back in time to uh, to pick up from you here again. Um, <clears throat> we've just introduced the the sound talks um, concept now, and I think it's time to go into a little bit deeper because there's a reason why we we um, we highlight this. Um, recently, there's been a fresh study um, by Dr. Dale Paulsen and Dr. Carmen Alonso of the Birringen Ingelheim. And um, the results of that were shared earlier this year. And uh, well, you were kind of well, not the, one of the primary researchers, but you had a role to play in this uh, in in these uh, in this research as well. Could you explain what that was?
1: Sure. So I wasn't a primary investigator in the study, but as part of my role at BI, I provided support, um, you know, relating to the mycoplasma, how and ammonia aspects. Um, so the challenge model. Um, We used a transmission model that uh, has been adapted as part of a thesis project. We also talked, you know, through with Dale and Carmen interventions to consider um, and mycoplasma, how pneumonia specific diagnostic sampling, again, based on the experiences um, and the research that we've done as part of my graduate program.
0: Very, very good. Well, let's just dive into the research for a bit. What, what, what could you share about it?
1: Sure. Um, so, our team had previous research that suggested, like we've mentioned, that sound talks could detect repris- respiratory episodes earlier than caretakers or intensive diagnostic monitoring. And we also had studies that suggested, you know, a negative correlation between uh, nursery mortality. Um, and the average respiratory health status, and a positive correlation between finishing average daily gain and respiratory health status. Um, so we had this background information, and the next step was to d- design a study to evaluate the performance and economic differences resulting from an earlier intervention of a respiratory disease episode that was prompted by sound talks. So what we did um, in that study was basically um, went to a field research barn uh, that was designed very similar to a commercial ween to finish barn in the upper Midwest. It would have had two, two air spaces um, and been a 2,400 head barn. And we took that barn and Dale divided it into six different zones. And each zone had a sound talks, uh, cough monitor placed above it. And um, within that zone, there basically would have been um, six sets of, um, of uh, pens that would have been allotted to each treatment group. And then between the zones, there were some open pens so that we wouldn't have an overlap of, um, you know, the sound talks um, picking up something from from the next, next zone. Um, And then within each of those pens, we would have had uh, 20 contact pigs per pen and then 20 or three seeders per pen. Um, And those seeders were challenged with mycoplasma hyal pneumonia and PERS um, at 11 and 12 weeks of age. So this was a 90-day study, a growing pig study um, over over that 90-day period. And then... When the three treatment groups were intervention applied at the Soundtox Alert, intervention applied five days later, which would be kind of based on our experience when that respiratory episode might be detected by a caretaker uh, within the barn. And then they had a third group where, um, the intervention was applied 10 days later.
0: Yeah, so basically... Um, the, so that basic, was
1: kind of on the far end. Basically,
0: one, one group was treated straight after talks would notify right. it. One would, after right. five days, and one 10 days later. Uh, one day, yeah, after right. 10 days,
1: right. yeah. Right. So the same intervention was applied to every single treatment group, but what we were looking at was the difference in the onset of treatment. You know, is there an importance or a benefit to... Moving in quickly and treating those pigs right away. And so, our treatment groups, our treatment that was applied uh, was a second dose of Mycoflux, so uh, BI's commercial Mycoplasma, Hyodimonubacterium, and then a first dose of Engelbach PERS MLV, and then uh, oxytetracycline and aspirin through the water one to five days after initiation. And then in addition, we had hundred grams per ton of lincomycin in the feed from uh, days six to 15 after that initiation. So some vaccinations immediately, um, and then oxytetracycline in the water, and aspirin for five days. And then after that finished, uh, you know, a 10 day uh, treatment with uh, lincomycin in the feed. And from their, production and economic differences between those treatment groups were uh, were calculated and put into a standardized economic index um, to and also looking at the cost of that technology on a partial budget model to look at the benefit to cost ratio of that uh, technology investment.
0: Mm. And
1: yeah,
0: what 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 were the outcomes? How uh, what what was was found? Does, does it help to to well to have an early intervention strategy?
1: Sure. So in this specific study, we saw um, we saw that it, there was a benefit, um, and that return on the cost of the technology, and so that includes the cost of the hardware, the monthly subscription fee, the installation fees. Um, we, in based on the performance parameters uh, that were obtained from the study, and then also um, Dr. Polson would have, um, in the economic analysis that he did, he went back over 12 years of oh. uh, market prices, hog market prices within the U.S., and then also feed costs, and um, within the us and he looked at this scenario over the course of 12 years if you had this production benefit that we saw from the sound talks um, an increase in weight gains decrease in treatments and in each of those um, cases over time you know that return on investment was always over three um so it was always positive and you know always a, a positive return when intervening early That's definitely
0: a helpful tool and to do your job better and also help to reduce antibiotics reduction to, to oh absolutely that, yeah? right right yeah, yeah.
1: yeah.
0: I, I read it a little bit of the research and i noticed that um you challenged the pigs with mycoplasma and pers and yet in the end also right. um, swine influenza was picked up how, how does that work
1: yeah yeah, so it, it's a real-world study, mm-hmm. right? Some sometimes you have uninvited uh, pathogens yeah. that occur, but as I mentioned, the study was conducted at a Midwest um, research facility that was designed similar to a commercial weaned finish barn, and so it was not filtered. Um, so that the thought was it was just a lateral introduction um, of influenza, and we we picked up two of those. Um, two of those examples yeah. within the study well,
0: it shows only that well the the the, the, the that there isn't an, uh, an actual situation that can occur in any, mm-hmm. any swine farm i see i see
1: right yep and we were able to to detect those additional repris- respiratory episodes and you know identify them and then also um dale had the foresight <laughs> to plan for what to do if we had um an influenza um, or other, other type of respiratory pathogen that was introduced. And so we had in the protocol to, um, begin a next round of, um, water and feed medications in the event that that occurred. And so that, that would have happened. Those additional interventions would have been applied with the identification of the two separate, uh, influenza introductions.
0: Now, if Sametel told- doesn't pick up anything, so it seems all that there is no respiratory problems. Um, does that is there then still a value for the for the application on the farm?
1: Right. So I, I mean, I believe so. I, some of our colleagues have applied the device with customers to help identify the onset of clinical episodes. So as we talked about determining the appropriate time to target application of treatments versus a scheduled application of antibiotics. And so, in those cases, when they've, tried, when they've taken that approach of using sound talks to help them place interventions um, in that there's a few abstracts, but they actually saw a reduction in the use of antibiotics when they went to a more targeted approach versus a scheduled approach.
0: Mm, well, that's, that's, that's a good thing. Um. There's something else running through my head because, um, well, you mentioned that there is a, the application can be used for finisher pigs as well as for grow finishers. Mm-hmm. Um, right.
1: Well,
0: are there applications thinkable way that would include sounds of breeding animals?
1: You know, those are questions that have come yeah. up. Yeah. Um, and so far, the algorithms haven't been developed for a farrowing room, for example, mm. or a breeding the uh, coughed, population. The cough
0: differently, for instance.
1: Right. And the, those algorithms are so, you know, so much work goes into that to properly training it for that age of pig I mean there's a separate one for nursery and a separate one for finishing and so to use that within a farrowing room for example that algorithm would need to be adjusted or to use it within a breeding herd population
0: mm. yeah basically you have know, two different, different kind of animals I suppose
1: right yeah. right the one
0: squeals and the other one yeah grunts more or less <laughs> yeah hmm. yeah interesting well there's, there's at least something to, to to develop in the for future studies I suppose mm-hmm. sure. um in case producers or, or veterinarians are interested, yet you have to convince them a little bit to say, okay, this is something that might be in a, in a worthwhile addition for to applying your farm. What do you tell them?
1: So, I mean, what we've seen is that sound talks can result in an earlier and a more objective detection of uh, respiratory health events than um you know, than what's detected by very trained caretakers. And, you know, I think part of that is the monitoring is occurring 24-7. And in some yeah. of my experiences in the research setting, the coughing seems to be starting overnight or in the early morning hours when people just aren't in the barn. So, you know, it allows us some sort of monitoring in the barn continuously. So you have an awareness of what's occurring, even when you know, your people just wouldn't be within the barn. No, no,
0: the, the animals um, hide away their coughs sometimes when during the day.
1: <laughs> right, right, yes. And so, you know, so that's that's a valuable piece, um, you know, for application of the technology that we've seen. And then looking at uh, Dr. Polson and Carmen uh, Alonso's study, you know, we have seen that. When that early detection is identified and a, an appropriate intervention is placed, uh, we have seen a return on the investment from the cost of the, the devices uh, that's been positive in all, all of the scenarios, all the combinations of the fee cost, you know market prices over a 12- year period, uh, that we saw a consistent return in those scenarios.
0: I see. And um, yeah, we've talked about that already. Um, um, Do you see, for instance, um, the the future opportunities for this application? um, Well, the sound health monitoring in general, uh, um, would you see that there? Well, you mentioned already that the the whole concept is in continuous development and uh, it's evolving, but what kind of uh, future, future developments do you expect?
1: Right. So I think we believe that sound has a lot of potential as a diagnostic sample. And so far, we've just uh, respiratory investigated respiratory health, which made sense from an animal health company standpoint uh, at BI. But I think there's that potential to develop additional algorithms, you know, like we talked about moving to the breeding herd or... Um, you know, I think that space is is open, and so far, respiratory health has been the really the only avenue that's been investigated at this point. So, I think again, continuous development um, for that for the research team on development. It
0: definitely hasn't reached the end of the road yet, and uh, but you feel that there is definitely uh, it, health monitoring this way could be part of the
1: veterinary science for the future. Yeah, I I think absolutely, and. You know, um, on the earlier podcast, Professor Danielle Berkman's mentioned that veterinarians might be hesitant to embrace technology. um, You know, but we need to. There's, you know, we just think if we could prevent PERS breaks, for example, in one south farm or region, or from spreading through a system, uh, just by earlier identification. Um, So there's tools out there that can really support us as veterinarians um, to improve. You know the health and productivity of um, of pigs.
0: Fantastic. Well, you've mentioned already that um, well, the, the the return on investment definitely is uh, is is uh, is taken into uh, consideration and makes a yeah. Th- th- there's a positive effect on that, so that's that's a great development. I think you've given us a, a very good update about the situation and also uh, you've enlightened us with the results of that recent uh, trial. So I'd like to thank you for that. Um, <clears throat> Um, And with that, I'm going to draw an end to this podcast, unless you have something else to add.
1: No, I've appreciated the the opportunity to share the study and to discuss the technology and early detection. Yeah,
0: I've been uh, I'm very happy that you were on our podcast as well. Um, In our next episode, which will be um, will be published in two weeks from now, we shall speak to nobody less than Professor Dr. Leo den Hartog, and he's well known around the globe. For his roles at Wageningen University and research as well as Nutreco. Um, you were listening to Meet the Expert, a podcast on swine disease and management brought to you every second Monday by Bering Ingelheim and Pig Progress. So don't forget to subscribe it, to it. And for now, I thank you for listening. I thank you, uh, Dr. Sponnen, for being with us. And I say goodbye to all our listeners and uh, we'll be back in two weeks from now with the next podcast. Goodbye.